Welcome everybody to the Good Data Podcast. I'm excited about this show. Today we'll be discussing the kinetic edge. That's, I think, a new term, but it's this idea of putting small data centers very close to the users and then being able to move data between these data centers invisibly. So you would install many hundreds of these mini data centers and then shift virtual resources between them. And when you do that, each individual one doesn't really need to be that robust, but when they all work together, they provide reliability. And it's kind of like a Wi-Fi mesh concept. And I've been talking about this with my partner, Kevin, for years and years. But now there's actually some traction in the marketplace. And I've invited Kevin Farsworth on to discuss this concept and see what the future might hold. Let's go. So here's a blurb from the Kinetic Edge Alliance, which is a alliance that was put together by a company called Vapor.io. And here's the quote that they put together about why the Kinetic Edge Alliance is necessary. Edge computing will deliver the next wave of network and data center infrastructure vital to support 5G autonomous vehicles and many other exciting technologies and applications. To meet the needs of the future, our industry must collaborate. We must bring together all of the products, platforms, and expertise needed to help make operators and developers successful with edge deployments. So there are a number of companies that have signed on to this Kinetic Edge Alliance, and some of them are large, some of them are influential, and I will be very interested to see how that develops and what it will mean for the industry. So without further ado, let's go on to my conversation with Kevin Farnsworth. So we're talking about Kinetic Edge data centers, the Kinetic Edge Alliance, and the idea of having data centers that are real close to the users and why that would be important. I'm here with Kevin who uh, is, is my partner in our business. And we've been talking about this for a very long time. And we've been really excited about it for a really long time. But it's hard to make the business case and we're still trying to see if it really makes sense. But there's so many things that are very exciting about this Edge data center. And we called it, back in the day, the distributed mesh data center. So. Kevin, right. welcome. Thank <laughs> and, you, <Drew>. uh, <laughs> And what, what was the concept of the distributed mesh data center? Well, we've been working with data centers for, you know, 12 years in, this, in our business and years before that. And the idea was that we had been working on reliability of data centers so much. Yeah, and if it's possible to treat each data center as a backup to other data centers, you could create a mesh, and we referred that as a distributed mesh because it'd be a number of small data centers located. They kind of backed each other up. Now they call it, what's the term they call it now? 
Well, these guys, uh, Vapor.io is a company that's partnered with Crown Castle, and they came up with this term called the kinetic edge. So the idea is putting resource, like small amount of resources in containers real close to customers and similar thing where they would back up to each other and one if one fails, it would back up to two others or whatever it is. And the reason they called it kinetic is that the workloads would move as right. required. So it's like you, you almost think of it like a cell phone tower that you would, uh, as you're driving your car or something, like if you were to be playing a cloud-enabled video game in your car, the video game would follow you this is this is like, just my thought well, of it. That, obviously, not when you're driving, but maybe you're. Well, yeah, a passenger. you're a passenger, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know that the the it would follow you from one of these edge data centers to the next and the next. At least that's that's a use to it. But also, like you're saying, if one fails, it would move to another. Spot. Yeah, one of the understandings of the original art, original concept was that getting the data center as close to the user as possible. So under normal conditions, you know, even under like static conditions, they have access to very, um, you know, significant data storage and data processing right at their fingertips. We we thought that that would be good. And then also that if other, like I say, a university or, or business had or a school had these located close to them, then and they were all interconnected to create what we're referring to as a mesh, then the reliability of any individual unit went, you know, wasn't as important because we, as we design data centers, reliability is everything. So that was my idea is that you could build something that's fairly small, fairly compact, but many of them and locate them um, in important locations for the client. But the client would always have a backup because they would be backed up to other units. So I think it's the same concept. It's just how now with the Internet of Things, then this is going to happen. I, don't, I think, you know, it's just how much capacity each of these um, locations has and how these guys treat it and how we would treat it. So the the funny thing about it is that we didn't use the term edge at the time right. because we were mostly thinking about reliability and also you know, one of the things that I really like is the ability to um, get these things smaller and smaller and maybe someday get one of these pods to the point where you could just put it on the back of a trailer and take it away to service it and just put another one on where it was. Right. So that you're you're always doing the work in the factory and you don't have any field work. Um, so the – but this the idea of edge with – uh, data centers like Edge Connect that take these kind of tier two markets and they put their data centers there so that they can get things like Netflix to their users with real low latency. So, you know, they, they use the um, the idea of the edge as for like CDNs for content distribution networks and things like that. But that wasn't really our reasoning for it. But, no, not originally. But <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, as and that was a couple. I mean, we did this. That was a long time. Ago, we're, talking we're talking about, about three years ago or oh, so. More than that. Well, we first I think kicking around, but we wrote eight. papers on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, three four years ago, and you know, just because we we're you know thinking about it, and yeah. and since then, you know, the whole idea and the technology has improved to the point where it's it's happening. It's not a matter of it's no longer conceptual. It's happening. It's just ha- how quickly. It, it will happen in you know in the and i think that the um 
you know, the, the idea of, you know, the cellular interconnect with Crown Castle is important because they already have a distribution, you know, distribution points and uh, the Wi-Fi and the, um, you know, that's going to make a big difference as well. Yeah, that's so Vapor.io, Vapor.io, I'm not sure what they call themselves, but um, they partnered with Crown Castle to actually put their little micro data centers at cell phone towers so that you could get really low latency at that spot. And that they're currently working in a few metro areas. They have a plan to roll out to like 30 metro areas. I think one of uh, the closest to us is Pittsburgh, um, but they it's have like Dallas. Well, it's interesting in Pittsburgh is where my associate had been doing the work, yeah. and he may be involved in that. Maybe, they, um, and I'll I'll check with him. <laughs> Maybe uh, um, on that. So yeah, I mean the idea of putting it at the cell phone tower makes a lot more sense. You move to things like five G, and you have a lot more data going through the cell phone tower as opposed to. Uh, over the regular internet pipes. So the customers, the idea of the customers are Internet of Things and I think video games. Well, I think video in yeah. general, uh, not just games, but you know, digital imaging is everything in the future. I mean, it's already big now. But yeah. I mean, the question for me is, you know, video specifically, you have a lot of data. You have just these big video files that have to sit someplace. So does it make sense to, how many videos are you going to put like right at one of these tiny pods? And how many would you put in a bigger data center? And would you move them back and forth? You know, it's, there's. there's Caching, I mean, that's the whole idea. I thought that the pod would be, would have the caching, if that's the right term, um, of videos. And then as soon as it was requested, then the transfer of data from a data center or a larger storage location would come into the pod, into the, you know, the, the unit. Though the initial would have very low latency, and by the time that you got through the first few minutes, um, that you would then, all of that data would be transferred down, so the rest of the, of the video would have been available. Um, and, I'm, you know, again, the technology of that, I think, is very... <laughs> well, I think the technology is already pretty baked. Like, you know, right. Netflix is very good, at, at and, and they do have caches of like the first minute of every program or something so that uh, as soon as you click play it'll get to you as fast as possible and then they'll they'll kind of download the rest of it more slowly and you know um, I mean we're you know we have Netflix on Verizon you know fiber and we still get hiccups on that yeah. um, so I think that over time that though you know that's going to improve with this concept because you're you're going to have a a lot more things to select from, you know, as a stationary, but also, as you say, a lot of the Internet of Things, the driverless cars or the um, other things, that, you know, trucks particularly moving around is going to happen. So it needs that infrastructure to be available to make those things happen. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those things that, that it sounds great to have the least amount of latency possible in any given thing um, and the idea of getting it as close to the customer as possible is, is the you know hallmark of, of the edge but the question is how close does it need to be and is the current kind of edge where you're at places like edge connects that are, are maybe one that's in Kansas City and one that's in you know uh, uh, Topeka Kansas or something 
um, versus having one that's in each cell tower at each one of those places. And, and do you actually need to get that close? Because, you know, in terms of, I'm playing devil's advocate, but because <laughs> um, I believe in it too. But but in terms of um, uh, certain types of applications, you already are at the kind of sim- simultaneous, you know, invisible to the user type of uh, input output that you would want for a lot of that stuff. So, like, how much more do they need by putting it closer? And that's one of I, I, th- I mean, the thing is, you ha- I think it has to be done for multiple purposes, not just yeah. for the latency issue. I think you're, um, you're you, know, you want to do it so that the data and the application has a, a wider footprint and hopefully in time. And especially when, as we're talking about high performance computing and um, using these spaces to be very, very dense data centers, essentially in a box that we can get a little bit further away from the mega data centers. You know, they, they're important. They're going to have to be there, but not necessarily the way they are now. And especially the end user. I mean, the, the, you know, we, as you and I know that the, the, you know, the uh, enterprise data centers, the users data centers are shrinking tremendously between cloud and, and co-location and all. And we're finding that, you know, at some point they will not need to have virtually any one site data center, you know, you know, other than connectivity and, you know, that closer, there's the, the more distribution, the, you know, the more kinetic uh, data center capacity, the, the better they'll have connectivity and access to their applications and their data. So the cloud's going to kind of absorb all of this as well. You know, I, I would imagine. Well, yeah, I think it, for the failover that we're talking about, it would almost have to have an architecture that would be similar to what we call cloud, you mm-hmm. know, because you can't just take a normal Windows server and have it fail over without having some kind of big architecture behind it. Uh, whether that's even even I think the uh, the disaster recovery as a service type software doesn't let you just shut it down and spin it up as quickly as you would need to, like we're talking. So you would need something that that is at that kind of like. Um, you know, the, the level of sophistication of, of Google or Amazon or something like that. I don't know if there is a term it. called the fog, but... Oh, know. yeah. <laughs> that, that, I think it's a silly term, but yeah, that, <laughs> that is up there. Yeah, that bringing the cloud as close to people as possible. I really... I don't, yeah, I don't know if that term really works, but, yeah. you know, the idea of, of you know, the cloud, you know, because a lot of people don't understand what the cloud is or cloud computing is. Well, I don't think you can because it's not... There's no specific definition, so right. it's like you yeah, know. But people use the term continuous you know, yeah. all the time. Oh, I'm going to go to the cloud, and you know, they're really thinking AWS. I mean, that's kind of yeah. the services that AWS provides. But there's so many other options to to that term cloud. Well, and and the thing I think about AWS even is that that's not even well defined. There's so many different offerings within AWS, you know. But but getting back, so I think so. Some of the needs of this. Um, you would need to be able to fail any one of those data centers very gracefully and quickly, or or at least switch from one to another very gracefully and quickly. So to me, that, that requires you to have great connectivity and um, 
you know, great management software to, to manage the whole engine of it, not just the sort of facilities or what you normally think of this facilities part of a data center, the cooling and the power and all that. So if something fails at that one, you can fail it over easily, but also the software to be able to move the workloads where they need to be. I mean, that's where the, you know, simultaneous replication is, is what we're, you know, kind of talking. I mean, I don't understand what that term means because <laughs> I'm more of a facility guy, but, yeah. but you know, it, 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 I, in concept I do. So you, if you're, you know, because I, you know, if, if it hit, gets hit by a truck, kind of say, that's the mindset is all of a sudden this box is no longer available, but the user is connected to the internet and they will be able to see their data instantaneously from another source. There may be a slight delay or slight hiccup on it, but they don't lose any productivity. And that's the bottom line is, you know, businesses cannot lose productivity and, and connect, you know, connect. I mean, that's where my, our clients spend a lot of money to be able to have continuous connectivity to their data. And I think that that's going to become a, a strictly a utility. And that's the, as you distribute power, you distribute other things, that this will be a distributed utility that's happens to be located in, you know, there's not, I think it's even more dense than cell towers, but you know, once uh, 5G gets going, which again, I don't quite understand what the 5G really is, but I know that it's revolutionary. <laughs> I, you know, I forget what the, the definite definition of 5G, but I like to think of it as just a gig over the air. That's my that's okay. my sort of shorthand personally, which I don't know if that's right, but that's sort of my conception of it. So if you say, um, you know, LTE is like 27 megabits per second and you're so you're multiplying by more than um, 100 times to get to, um, so, you know, really, really fast internet over the air. Um, do, you, do you anticipate that eliminating the actual physical connections to homes and businesses? Or is that, you know, that would still be, if you want 10 gig, you know, you would need to have that connectivity. Yeah. But... You, you know, most app, most residential, you know, they definitely don't need that that type of connectivity. So you can, you know, distributed, you know, get internet connection through through uh, um, through that without really getting, you know, not having connect, you know, connect, and which gives it a lot more competition and yeah. all the other things. Which, you know, there's so many monopolies in the hardwired, you know, Comcast, Verizon, you know, in many regions. That if you can just say, "Oh, I'm going to provide this," and you can, it's much more fluid. That means that it'll be a lot more competitive. Well, you, right now, I think the problem with 5G is that there's not like a use case for it yet for most people. The, I mean, that's part of the reason why this is probably not quite ready for huge adoption is that um, people don't use things that use more than 27 megabits per second like LTE um, broadband is good enough for watching video and it's good enough for doing just about anything that people do um, for the amount of data that goes back and forth but it so that's why people talk about the autonomous cars and the internet of things and, and maybe VR or, or any of those kind of technologies that haven't been enabled yet but they could be bigger because yeah. And you know, the, the, that's the question. It's like, why do you even need a gig? Most most users don't need anywhere near that. 
Um, and even even most companies don't need anywhere near a gig for each device. You know, most most uh, wall outlets, you know, wall, wall jacks at, at a given company could just be 100 meg, which has been the standard for 20 years, and they'd be fine. Um, That's interesting. I don't. I I I know. You know, we know that the transmission of data is increasing all the time, and the demand for that. But as you say, the typical user has a laptop or a PC on their desk. You know, the hundred meg is going to satisfy anything they do. Yeah. It's just the the more sophisticated applications that now are in data centers, um, where they have very low latencies, and then they're cranking out a tremendous amount of data and resourcing a lot of storage. That's a bit different, and. Yeah, as you say, does this matter? You know, I mean, that's the question: is is yeah. it is, you know is this technology you know going to make an impact on the regular users and the regular businesses? Um, that's my big question. Today's episode is brought to you by Green Lane Design. GreenLane has been designing, engineering, and building critical facilities for over 10 years, including major enterprise customers as well as co-location facilities. GLD has designed and developed an integrated stack of design disciplines. If you would be interested in a free assessment, go to greenlanedesign.com, click on contact, and mention the podcast. And you're opening up some risks, too, in a security, you know, you have to you have to be okay with having less security at each one of these edge sites than you would at a big data center. Um, so you have to make sure that everything is well encrypted and probably not just encrypted on the one level, but you know, your encrypted OS, you got your encrypted storage at rest, you got your encrypted data in transit. Um, and so you, you have to have all these levels of security that might be even more intense than what would be at a regular data center. Hmm. Um, and, you know, you also have to think somebody could vandalize these things or, you know, there's. Um, and yeah, I mean, if somebody were to, I mean, literally put it up on a truck, what can they get out of it? Right. You got to make sure that nothing gets out of it. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, they. You, know, you they put just, like a little GPS sensor that would, <laughs> would well, call you. Obviously, you get all kinds wrong. of alarms yeah. and it would send all kinds of signals and things. But, um, you know, I think uh, that's all. That's interesting because I think I would wonder how much the people who are building these things and pushing it. How much all of you know they they force you have a foresight on what's going to happen in five years and ten years yeah. um, is this infrastructure being built for some special purpose that we might learn about from some of the manufacturers of it because they're doing it it's happening yeah and you know we 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 we'd like to be I you know we've designed the pods we've you know have some of the understanding of technology for for the space and it would be. Um, something we'd like to do, but, um, you know, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. You know, those, um, people who are, who are building these things have, um, I, I'd be interested. The, the one thing that kind of transitions this a little bit is this idea you've, I talked a lot about the, the high performance computing and, you know, how to do that in a, in a very sensible and low, ex, low cost way. But I don't know that these, would that apply to this, you know, getting high performance computing in the, you know, if if that started to be a bigger deal, like let's say, let's say um, Alexa or Siri or a voice assistant got really really smart and needed to 
have a supercomputer right as close as possible to you or, or you know, uh, got even better than what it is today, then maybe it does make sense to have a high performance compute right near everybody. I think, you know, as much as, as much as you might not think about it, Siri and Alexa and all those do actually take up processing power. Um, there is yeah. artificial intelligence behind it. So taking that close to the user, uh, can make sense because, you know, people get annoyed just by the one second delay of Alexa. So getting that just a little bit closer is, um, is helpful. So maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, is it, is a one second delay enough to wreck everything? Or, well, it's also, or, or would this even help with the one second delay or, or you know? I mean, uh, you know, when, when they talk about, an, uh, you know, a smart house, smart homes, you know, they are becoming, and smart businesses, you know, everything is becoming connected. And as that happens, every device now, you buy electronic, you know, you buy anything, it has electronic interface to it. I mean, I my toothbrush literally has an ability to have an electronic interface that shows you how you should be brushing your teeth. Right. I thought that was crazy, yeah. but I didn't use it, but I, right. you know, I saw it and I'm like, wow. And, but, you know, there's so many things that are in homes now that come with those features and that's just going to happen more and more. So I don't know that that overwhelms anything and that you need more connectivity or closer connectivity so that it's not burdening the system because you have all of these devices hitting on, um, hitting on some central database. Uh, that's, that's it. But that is happening. The amount of things, the internet of things is so much bigger than it was. And it's going to be astronomically larger from today on. So I don't, I, I guess this helps, in, you know, helps with that. Yeah. But so the question is, does the thing itself have to be smarter? Let's say that, you know, processors have gotten more efficient and we have, you know, tensor cores, which is, you know, basically a chip that's custom made for AI uh, that we can put inside of some of these things, the Internet of Things. And then you can do that processing at the thing itself. And then you don't have to use the the uh, Internet at all to do the processing wow. for it. So there's there's the edge and then there's the edge device that has actually, you know, gathering the information or whatever it is. So that back and forth, that, you know, yin and yang of uh, where do you put the compute, it's, it's real complicated. So well, I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm almost talking you out of the, the, the idea well, of it, but yeah, I'm just being, I mean, In a know, way, we, you know, we kicked this around for other reasons that we yeah. weren't really looking at. Um, we were looking at it more from a strict reliability and, you know, kind of the economy of scale in reverse. I mean, the idea that we could reduce the cost of a data center by putting it in a box and doing it with very high efficiency cooling and distributing many of the boxes around rather than buying, you know, building these, you know, gigantic spaces that, that have to have super redundancy in them. Um, and that's, that's really that where we start now it's, it's going to a different level now, but it's, it, that's still part of it. That's yeah. still, you know, I would be interesting to see how these, how these, boxes are, are being made and what you know, what the content is well so there's also maintenance which 
is an issue, I think. You know, having these things in such a way that you could maintain them easily, despite the fact that you'd have to get a tech to drive to the location. So that almost definitely means that you're slower to act as you would be if there's just an on-site 24-7. Well, that's true, but because you don't need it to be, you know, you you could remotely shut it down. You could have someone, as you you and I talked about, someone go over, lift it up, put it on a truck, put another one down, start that one up, and nothing happened. I mean, you know, no no one knows that that happened. You obviously have to have security on that way of lifting it, but, um, you know, whereas, and then all of the maintenance, the actual maintenance is done in shops, not in field. Um, And that's always been a problem. You know, it may, it keeps the, again, the reliability of that individual pod high without having to put the redundancies, the crazy redundancies in that we put into a typical data center. Yeah, but, you know, the, the, I, the difficulty of having a lot of small things versus one big thing is that there does tend to be an economy of scale with the one big thing uh, because you just have fewer parts. So I think I keep going back. We keep going back to that sort of dropship mentality of being able to yeah. just put something down, take it back to the shop if it's a problem. You know, that's what makes the most sense to me. <laughs> um, well, but so so having something that's integrated or a couple of integrated pieces that are really easy to interface with each other. Um, you know, I mean, obviously standardization using using systems that are interchangeable, you know, using the technology that can use one manufacturer, you know, doesn't, isn't locked into one manufacturer. Um, you know, that's going to be important because it's, you know, it's basically you're, uh, you're talking about it, you know, on a, it could almost be on its own truck. I mean, it, you know, you just drive it away, you know, it's, right. it's, yeah, it's, it just has a, has a little flatbed or it's yeah. on a little trailer. It's your data, you know, it's yeah. this, company's data center and then but it's connected to all yeah. the others that that back it up so it's it's to be seen i mean i mean i know that the cell tower guys and we've looked at designing those types of pods and you know they're you know the little bit of a problem is most cell towers don't require a lot of power right so they're going to have to bring more power to that spot and for you know these pods are going to require you know more energy but um, that's not, you know, the utilities will get it there. If you're, if you're going to pay for it, they'll get it there. So, um, in a way it would almost be easier though, to up the amount of power required at a given cell tower by hundred KW than it would be to put, uh, you know, five meg, <laughs> you know, if well, you have, if you have 50, 100 meg of these things, then it's much easier to get that from the utility than to get one five meg service or, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, um, that's the old the idea of, and again, reliability. You're, you're pulling it off different grids. You're pulling it off different, um, you know, and you're not, you're not pulling in, as you say, five meg or 10 meg or some of these data centers are 100 meg. Yeah. You know, you're, you're spreading that demand over. And as things, you know, like microgrids and DC power, and as they grow with uh, the efficiency of, of the grid, the, you know, having smaller pods that, um, that aren't these mega, you know, that don't suck in, you know, incredible amounts of energy. Now, there's always the efficiency side is, you know, many of these smaller things is like going to be significantly less efficient than one mega thing. Not that the mega things are going to go away. The yeah, mega things they, are still going to be wouldn't. there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, because, you know, back to the kind of idea of the topology of, 
you know, having a bunch of these that can fail to each other. Well, what if a whole region goes down? Then you'd have to fail to something bigger that is much more robust. So you would still have to have that kind of backbone uh, if this is going to be a 100% 24-7, 365 idea. Um, because let's say, let's say, is each one of these pods going to have a 24-hour fuel reserve? Is it going to have a 30-minute fuel reserve? You know, if there's a regional power outage, what, what do you do? Are you going to run diesel trucks to each one of these things and just have a loop that is going back and forth? You know, there, there's uh, complexity to it that... I mean, I kind of think of it as of a spoke arrangement so that, yeah. you know, you do, I mean, you do have to have the home base, the, 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 the you know, the place where things are stored and, and have the capacity at, at some place. And then you spoke out to these smaller things. And that, that hub location is going to be the mega, you know, mega data center or, or major data center that has tremendous reliability. But these individual guys don't need to have it. Now, you know, as we're back to talking, well, is that necessary? You know, if you have good connectivity to the to the hub data center, um, why do you need these little guys? And, you know, other than as you, you know, mainly the high idea of latency, but how many things, you know, are dependent on latency or affected by latency? Um, you know, video gamers can only go so far. I mean, you know, yeah, they're going to be the ones who really want you know, no latency and yeah. they're, they're doing online video games and they're, um, so that's, yeah, that's, but how many other, th- I mean, obviously wire, you know, driverless cars want no latency, right? you know, but they have AI in the car as well as looking at right. other th- maps and other things that they're going to pull out from other places. But, um, you know, how, how far along is that? Then, I mean, I, I think that the big push I've heard is the idea of having driverless trucks, yeah. Um, and that's a tremendous saving because they don't get tired. Right. You know, not that I put a lot of truckers out of business, but, you know, it's going to happen and they'll need an infrastructure that is a lot more robust than the cell tower infrastructure. Um, and that five gig and being able to get data trans transmitted to those trucks is going to be important um, for security reasons and a lot of reasons if there's, you know, you know, no driver or a driver that can be sleeping while the thing's running and they're, and they're still there. But, um, you know, I think that's a big, big item. And, you know, so moving, moving merchandise, um, obviously we buy more stuff online to get products to our property than we do in, I don't know if it's quite as much as we do in stores, but for certain products, it's, you know, or more online sales than anything, how to get that, product to your to your facility or your company or your home obviously amazon's using drones to do it right and you know that drone needs to have uh, you know a link to um could very well use this grid to link to so this it's you know it's happening now the question is how do you find applications that are significantly improved by having this infrastructure available. Right. And well, it's a good question. You know, sometimes the fact that something exists means that now there's going to be somebody who develops something for that. Like, you know, people before computers, nobody was an application developer. But once computers came along, suddenly 
there were millions of applications developers. <laughs> and yeah, look you how know, many applications are on your phone because your right. phone's so smart. So and, suddenly you have edge application specialists or whatever it is, and you know there are probably things that people could do that we haven't even thought of yet, like. You know, if everybody had augmented reality glasses and just walked around and, you know, instead of a billboard, there would just be an optional augmented reality banner or, or some kind of art display or something everywhere you go. Well, that would probably require some of this stuff on the back end. And, and maybe if that was to be a case, like, you know, uh, if everybody had augmented reality glasses and it was just a part of culture, Maybe then this would all be 100% necessary. Well, I mean, I, I was chatting with uh, my wife about, um, you know, we we're talking about a little bit of this. And, I, I, you know, we we're actually talking about the chip. You know, at some point in the future, now you have a watch. Why not have a chip? And, you know, that will be able to allow you to buy things. You don't need cash. You know, you, you'll be able to know your, your, your health situation at all times that can be transmitted to your doctor or, you know, so, you know, now that can be done somewhat on a watch, you know, you can get your heart rate and other, even blood pressure, some watch, some devices. So, you know, this is all things that could be added to those, you know, applications that would require low latency and availability, um, you know, a kinetic availability. Um, so as, as, as you say, as these developers, you know, if you have a platform, if you have, if as you have an interstate, you're going to use it for something. And, you know, it was built and, you know, now I think we're behind on the 5G from what I understand. But with this, you know, kinetic, um, that may help with deploying 5G faster than, than, um, but as you say, if it's not, if it's not something that people are really looking to use and, you know, then people aren't going to put the money into it until it, there's a demand for it. Right. So it's kind of, if it's if it's there, they'll use it, but you have to justify getting it there. Right. I mean, the there are now 5G phones. They exist, but who cares? Yeah, there's no 5G <laughs> infrastructure, well, so it doesn't really not matter. Even, not only that, but like, what are you going to do with it? You can't watch any better video. I mean, you know, you're already watching video that looks fantastic. There, there are just aren't, too many applications that I know of that require that kind of bandwidth for everything. Uh, and, you know, that's not to say it won't happen, but, you know, codecs have gotten better so that the, the actual amount of data transferred for video is a lot less. The, you know, the compression has gotten better and, and the way that you uh, process the data on your cell phone is, is changed. And now we have AI chips on cell phones. You know, that that's uh, a lot of us for like image recognition or whatever. But still, it's it, there's no reason to think that that would slow down. So the the my big question with this still it, it well, there's there's both <laughs> the difficulty of it, you know, that, that there almost has to be like a, um, <clears throat> a whole infrastructure in place or like an ecosystem in place to make this all make sense uh, to be able to service to be able to uh, get the software what it needs to be to be able to make sure the security is what it needs to be um, have the bandwidth how it needs to be there's a lot that needs to happen for this kinetic edge or distributed mesh data center for it to really work and that's you know so so these guys at uh, vapor.io 
made something called the Kinetic Edge Alliance, which is a group of companies that are all working together to create the ecosystem that's required to make this kind of a thing make sense. And I think it's a good start. (laughs) Um, But, you know, identifying the problem is a good start. Thinking about, okay, so we need to have um, fast, graceful failover. We need to be able to move between locations really quickly, have great connectivity. Um, The other thing we didn't really talk about is, could these be just as efficient as a large-scale data center? And I I think, you know, with technologies like immersion cooling, I don't think there's any reason to think that they wouldn't be. I think um, that, I mean, you, you know, you and I know the technology to make them extremely efficient. And, you know, in certain locations, there can be, you know, uh, a cell, uh, you know, a solar cell, you know, ray near that unit and, and provide um, power that way. And since you can run things on DC power without having to convert from AC to DC and back to AC and back to DC, you know, through UPSs and things, you know, you can save a lot of um energy just on the distribution side of power to the devices and we've done efficient cooling to the point where your you know your you know power utilization effectiveness is is very low PUE is very very low um so you know because and also because you don't necessarily have you know you don't have the ups redundancies which have tremendous failures you don't have the distribution redundancies because you're redundant from a, a network point of view um, so yeah, we can make the you know we or they or whoever can make these tremendously efficient. The you know, but they make big data centers efficient in the economy of scale for big data centers. We have cooling towers and other thing methods, you know, economizers, etc. Um, have gotten some you know much better in some cases. And some people, you know, I still think it affects mostly the the end user not necessarily the residential end user, but the business end user, that they can really eliminate, nearly eliminate, the need to have any data center on site. That this is close enough and has, you know, all their bells and whistles are available to them um, without having to spend the millions of dollars it costs to build a data center or run, and all of the expense to run a data center. But isn't that, it, doesn't Colo do that too? I mean, colo or cloud or all, all those things. I, I mean, think this. I would call it. This is part of the hybrid. I mean, this is right. you know the you know the, the yes, colo has has an app. You know has you know is important for this. The cloud is very important for this. But you know the home data center, which is you know people still need for certain applications and certain things, can be you know a data center box that has. Um, at your site and got tremendously low latencies for certain applications and um, maybe high performance computing for things that are running uh, analysis. Um, but and it's and it's it's yours, but it's also shared. Um, so your cost of owning that is so much less than the cost of owning a five thousand square foot data center in your building. Well, yeah, we haven't even talked about like I think one of the things you're getting at is like desktop at a service as a service right. where you you know no longer have any actual software on your laptop or whatever device you have it's all just in a data center someplace so that is latency dependent 
And where, it's latency dependent for, because so many people are working from other locations than the office. Yeah. Both, you know, other client locations, you know, at home, you know, there's so much more of that's happening. And, you know, they need reliability and, and low latency and, and productivity. And the, all, all of this comes back to how productive can people be? Is this going to improve productivity for businesses? Um, and that's where the money comes in. Yeah. You know, you can, if you can increase productivity by 5% by doing this, that's billions of dollars in, in utilization of, of manpower. Yeah. And that's worth it. So how to get that, you know, have to implement this so that it does improve, you know, productivity. Um, and that's what we're talking about. How do you, you know, what is it going, you know, what is it going to take to get it so that people are using this in their applications that will significantly improve productivity? So the the, pro, the one problem with desktop as a service, I, I really think that, first of all, software doesn't belong on an employee's laptop. Or, yeah, you know, or stored data, data. Yeah, data doesn't belong on somebody's laptop. And the ability to access data uh, you know, to put it on a thumb drive doesn't belong in somebody's laptop. That's a huge security risk. Um, so to be able to get that away from somebody's laptop is a real benefit. But the, the question <laughs> is, you know, is, does that need to be on a desktop as a service type situation or can it just be on a web access, you know, uh, software as a service type thing where, you know, for instance, Salesforce, you just type in salesforce.com and you get to your version of Salesforce. Um, does it need to, do you really need to have that extra layer of having your own sort of OS that you get to that's your computer? Or can you just kind of have a portal through which you get to your uh, applications that isn't quite the same thing as a desktop? You know? I, I think that lends a little bit into security because if you physically have a device that you that you own that your company gives you that is a um, essentially a, a laptop without without an operating system it's just a portal to you know the pot you know the the distributed mesh then it's very inexpensive um, it's very secure you know it's more secure than your, you know your basic you make it more secure than your basic laptop yeah and you know and also you know it just if you don't have this you're not getting in and you know if you don't have the right you know um, biometric security with a fingerprint and the you know the code it, it's worthless to anybody yeah. it has no value so and it costs virtually you know very little money so then all of a sudden from anywhere you have this this capability of running whatever system you need to run at any time of the day um, on something that's very inexpensive yeah I mean to me that's the only thing that makes sense the right. question is, does that have to have this distributed mesh, or can you just have, you know, regular Edge Connect style? I think it depends on what you're. At. Well, again, it yeah. depends on the application and what you're doing. But yeah. you know, um, you know, somebody who's doing scientific research on pharmaceutical or whatever, and they want to do that from a remote location, maybe they need something that has high, you know, very low latency to say, hey, do you know, go go run this and let me look at it. Um, obviously, the graphics are a big one. But that's to be, you know, it's that, you know, we are asking the question, yeah. this is happening. Does it have value? And if it has value, when is that value going to be recognized? I think it's the last one. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's yeah, if, yeah. I, think, I think there's definitely value. But when when is that going to become like a such a limiting factor? Because I know Netflix, for instance, 
they have gone back and forth of where they put their storage. They've, they've had really like, you know, for you little boxes that they put at a bunch of different places. And then they pulled that out and had their edge kind of more at these edge connects type places. And then, you know, there's this give and take about how much storage you want to put at a place, how much compute you want to put in a given spot. And it, it's not a hundred percent clear which is cheaper, and you know it's funny even though you know like a Netflix or a big company, it's stronger. You know yeah. you're going to have to try some stuff, and with this um, kinetic type of thing, um, I think that over time people will try certain things. Oh, this doesn't this particular application doesn't work here. We're going to do we have to do it some other way. Oh, this is a new application, something we're doing that you and I can't think of yet, but it's going to happen will work perfectly in this environment. And and they, you know, it's curious, obviously these folks are getting a tremendous amount of investment. Investments is speculative. You're going, you know, somebody is selling somebody on the eye, give me millions of dollars and I will build this because, and they give them a list of reasons. Yeah. And, you know, or is it all blue sky or is it something that's real? Obviously investors thinking it's real because they don't want to spend their money on something that's not, so they get convinced that, you know, within the near future, five years, let's say, this will become a standard, a, a thing that is growing and needed. Um, it, you know, are they are they right? That's <laughs> any investors. You know, yeah, they're always gambling. Yeah. So, well, are you right? And is this the right way to do it? You know, because uh, it's you know, it's one of those things that. Uh, I think from everything I see about Vapor.io, and I'm sure there are others, and I, I feel like I should have done better research to, to find those people, but um, the, that, you know, you have to have the right sort of secret sauce to make it all work together. And these guys seem really smart. Uh, but whenever you're, you have a, a sort of blue ocean where there's no blood in the water and you're trying to get there, um, you might pick the wrong spot. <laughs> you know, and so if you can find that blue ocean, great. But you know, yeah, where are the sharks? Yeah, where are the sharks? Exactly. <laughs> well, where are the sharks, and, and where's the where's the food? <laughs> like, what if there's what if there's no krill or whatever you're supposed to eat in the spot that you're trying to get to? Like, what if what if the particular formulation of this kinetic edge? It, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it. You, you could have a mm -hmm. 50 kW little pod that is extraordinarily like um, vertically integrated where you the one company produces the hardware the actual IT hardware and the box and the cooling tower you know whatever the dry cooler cooling tower whatever is doing the heat rejection and you know owns the sites and, and all those things and that can just be one company that does all that stuff where you could almost set it up like a colo where cloud providers can put their stuff there well, that's what, and, you know, obviously Crown Castle, they don't put anything on the tower that's theirs. Right. They're, a, you know, they're a RIT. So they're a real estate um, investment um, company, essentially. And they just rent space on the tower to whoever sell, you know, sell provider wants to be there. Right. And I think that that's probably going to be the mentality of, of these particular um, data center, kinetic data center locations. That you know, that's what they're going to do. Oh, you want to put that there? Here, it's X dollars for you to put it there. You want to? Well, that's that's Crown Castle, but but couldn't somebody vertically integrate all the rest of the stuff? Well, that's that's the good question. I mean, I think yeah. you know because these things are so relatively 
you know, can be relatively small and you could put it on top of a building, you could put it in a, in the, you know, in, you know, it's, it's could go anywhere, you know, depending on, because you and I know that you can put something in the size of a drop in refri- you know, freezer that has a tremendous amount of capacity if we get into liquid, you know, liquid cooling and the, um, and then, you know, DC power and et cetera, um, you know, that can go anywhere. So that's, that's the question is even, you know, having it go anywhere, is that beneficial? And, you know, um, we could, we, we will do some research, you and I know we'll research this and we'll find who's writing applications for, that needs this particular type of infrastructure. Well, I'll throw out too, since we're, since we're sort of talking about the, the enterprise space and, and companies putting their data center someplace, uh, having a hyper-converged data center that is real small really makes a lot of sense right now with things like Amazon Outposts, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, where you, you basically have your own private cloud that you're leasing from Amazon on-premise. So to have something like that that can just go in uh, a little, uh, you know, single rack or something could conceivably uh, replace most of a whole data center. You know, I mean, the way that uh, some of these hyper-converged computing, how that actually works is you can really shrink a lot. And and you have uh, much smaller compute nodes and you have many more of them in one rack. And the better your cooling gets, the better that gets. And so maybe this isn't quite related to this concept that we're well, talking about, but but being able to put really tiny compute nodes or, or storage or whatever at a, at a customer's site. Well, we, we talked earlier yeah. about the fact that these would be essentially part of the cloud. Yeah. Um, you know, and so those access points that you're talking about for AWS or whoever else, um, you know, this would, this may be, you know, you may have one person, you know, for your own building, and that's more dedicated to you and has backup and, and, and um, you know, but there's also like say the, the more socially or more um, community oriented um, units that are out that aren't just, you know, on your property or just more, as you say, as we say, cell tower or above on the top of a, you know, municipal building, you know, that those are more for the community. Um, and I think that that's, Again, this isn't going to be one thing. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a, the idea of using this for different purposes, but access to the cloud and having your own, you know, a, a, you know, private cloud, which is, you know, people don't understand that concept either. But having a private cloud that is also has, gives you interface to um, the public cloud or the, um, you know, many things you don't need to go out on the internet for cloud, you know, for your users to use the concept of cloud, right. but it's instantaneously, it's instantaneously backed up and has all those, you know, fi- you know, all those features that the cloud has, but it's on your property and it's yours. Yeah. Well, Google just came out with something that's in beta, which is similar to the Amazon outposts, uh, that is, um, I forget what it's called, <laughs> but it's it's basically uh, Kubernetes uh, in a box. So uh, and they they lease it to you, or you lease it from them, and um, it's uh, it takes this sort of big hyperscale idea of being able to move your workloads wherever they need to go really quickly, and puts it in a box that Google kind of manages a lot of that backend stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And so taking something that's, that has that kind of smarts and putting it anywhere. But, you know, I guess before I was thinking about this whole thing as a box of a cell phone tower because we were talking about this vapor.io. But when you start to get into a business doing it, that's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's, right. it becomes uh, a different question if um, we're talking about a, a small business or a Fortune 500 business or, you know, somewhere in the middle to figure out where it makes sense to put their workloads and how you provision it from place to place and, and how you do failovers. And, and if you have compliance issues, uh, how do you ensure that there's, uh, that you're covered wherever you are? So well, let's say the, the HIPAA requirements for, for hospitals and doctors and yeah. all that, these things can be designed to be specifically, you know, designed around that requirement. Right. And there's, there are standards for that. And there's a, it's a giant thing. People are, are, you know, every doctor's office is, you know, is going electronic. Um, so again, the, the, these things are, are not going to be a, you know, this is the, you know, the kinetic, whatever, you know, is going to be one part of it. The, uh, cloud access points are going to be another part of it. Uh, specialized um, applications, high-performance computing is going to be another part of it. And But it's all shrinking. That's the interesting part of this. It's shrinking. It's giving you a certain access that is needed for your particular uh, company. And, and it's also taking away from the company all the grief of having to run a data center a traditional data center. As you and I know, companies don't do it well. They, you know, it's much better, you know, as far even economically to do it as a service. Um, it's, you know, OpEx instead of CapEx. You know, those things are happening. I mean, we, yeah. you know, that, that kind of pushes to the, the, cl- you know, the colo. Yeah, this is kind of colo cloud, you know. But, it, you know, it's yeah. renting your colo. It's leasing your colo, but it colos happen to be in your on your property. Somebody right, else right. takes care of it. And somebody else, you know, manages it, and it's you know very, very secure and very, very reliable. But so, so let me see if I'm understanding your use case because I don't think I understood it before. So you're saying that let's say there's a company that has five different sites uh, in, around the country. Let's say, then they would have one of these pods each one of their sites, and if one of those sites has a problem, the other sites will take over, and it'll still be in their ecosystem. Is that that kind would of that'd be mean? an excellent application for this concept, okay? Because that's you know essentially their private cloud, yeah. That's just for them, you know. And then if there's overflow, it could go to public cloud. Yeah, you always like need that. access to the public. You know, there's there's things as you know, since you talked about Salesforce and other types of applications that work very nicely in the public cloud. But if you if you have a string of hospitals in the Lehigh Valley, and you have and each of those hospitals have certain requirements, and you can put one of these, you know these devices, this box, you know, data center in a box concept at each of those facilities. And then each of the people, um, the doctors and the providers have their own link to that. It's a private cloud, but it's multi-location and it's, and it's synchronous, you know, you know, simultaneously backed up from the other locations. So you're creating this, you know, this distributed mesh, but it's a, it's a private distributed mesh and the technology is there. Now someone, you know, Google and, and Amazon are saying, oh, we can give you that box and we'll maintain that box and, 
you know, you don't have to worry about having a data center in your space. You don't have to worry about going to some class, you know, some colo and owning equipment in the colo that is your equipment that you got to go there and, and upload firmware and do all the things you have to do to the colo. You know, that's more my, my thought of it is that that's a place for this concept to go. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, in a way you're describing Amazon outposts and, and that kind of stuff. And if Amazon were to containerize that, you know, instead of, you know, it put it in a rack that requires cooling to have it in a container that's self-contained, then that makes sense. Um, so that, you know, it's, it's a lot to think about because I, I was, you know, I mean, I came into this thinking about the sort of, um, larger scale, non-corporate type, or not necessarily corporate type right. of, of uh, application. But um, so I think there's two different parts to it. But if you start thinking about the corporate use case, then it stops making as much sense for it to be at a cell phone tower <laughs> location. Right, 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 right. But, but then... But then you have problems like, you know, getting connectivity between the sites and have it, like setting up dark fiber and SDN or something that, that has fantastic uh, connectivity so that you're always having that failover capacity. And so it, now what about I mean, I, you know, the, the 5G technology, the Wi-Fi technology where your connectivity is really good, but it's not necessarily, you know, dark fiber. Well, is that I mean the speed is an issue for yeah because even even one G isn't enough for a or you know one gig isn't enough for a corporate backbone okay you know let's say you know let's say you're you're trying to do some kind of active active corporate mesh um, you're gonna need a lot more data bandwidth I mean one G is a is a pretty small I mean corporate ten, 10 gig is usually what people are are kind of you know are, yeah I mean. <laughs> And it gets complicated too because if you're web facing, let's say you're a media organization and all your customers are getting to you from the web, well, you don't have to have that exact same continuity of the exact instance of something running. Like you're not, you don't have customers typing on a laptop on a Word document and then that goes away. You have customers who are, you know, clicking on your website and want to continue to get to your website. So that could move across the country and nobody would notice. You know, for for the latency right. issues and 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 also for for a lot of issues. So, you know, having an active active type of uh, setup, it depends on your application where that makes sense. Well, I mean, at the moment, these companies would all have very high quality internet connections to each of these sites. There's no yeah. question about that. Yeah. They'd have, and even if they're the smaller sites, they'd have an IDF closet or MDF closet that that has, you know, servers in it and have, you know, certain, obviously their network that distributes their data throughout their, their space. So they're already, that, that infrastructure is there. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, but it's just the, the fact that they have to, you know, deal with these very cumbersome rooms that have, you know, their, um, and the, the number of technicians and people that they have to service these things. And also to get, you know, I mean, we're, we're very knowledgeable about colos, but they have their downside, you know, with um, and depend, you know, some are better than others. But so you in most cases, you own what's in there. And so you have to either pay somebody for the service of that, which gets expensive or you, you know, you do it yourself. 
this idea, and I'm sure that Amazon's, you know, there are smart people out there, you know, their idea of, of putting these um, micro clouds in people's buildings or in people's corporate locations, and then they are able to access AWS, you know, there's, 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 they are going to spend the money on that because it makes sense. Yeah. And it comes back to, you know, the data center as a service, not just, not just, you know, failovers or you know, disaster recovery as a service. It's the data center as a service in all regards. It's just that it happens to be within your, you know, you, you have it on your property, just like you would lease a car or you lease a truck or, you know, those things are belong to you for the time you need them and other people service them and other people um, take care of it from a maintenance and, and reliability point of view, which is what happens with Colos. But, you know, why do you need to go to some building when you can, you know, uh, you know this infrastructure is getting so much smaller and so much more reliable? Bring it, you know, lease it. Yeah. You know, that's... Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, that's a point that I didn't think of before our conversation today, but you know, it's it, it seems to make sense. Yeah, I mean, well, that's I think that's where a lot of the industry is going right now is uh, leasing assets. Um, and and you can lease you can lease a Cisco stack that's hyper converged mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, there's a lot of different. But usually they're they're rack. It's a it's a normal kind of rack based system. And there more and more you can get like a, a standalone micro data center type rack too. Um, oh, it can be a rack. I mean, not saying it has but, to be. You know, you can you can put it on a uh, on a dolly and roll it into a room too. Um, but yeah. you know, but having it as a, a little you know little phone booth out you know um, out in the in you know out in the secured area also may make sense um, as long as it's efficient and the connectivity to that is good. Um, I, I, <laughs> I use the term uh, TARDIS in some right. <laughs> And of course, the only the Doctor Who heads will be out right, there right. understanding that. But, you know, putting a, a police box somewhere um, and knowing that you basically have connectivity to the world through it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's a, a something we kicked around when we were talking about the distributed mesh data center. Yeah. that you know, um, you just your access. You you know, you is this box, and I always liked the idea. And back then, was these would be located in you know in commercial and industrial locations, along with schools and hospitals and other things. And in some cases, they're part of the uh, you know part of the the public mesh. And in some cases, it's a private mesh mm-hmm. or you know a private cloud, whatever you want to call that. Um, and you know that's a way of looking at it. Yeah, it it's um, the the question of you know is it public private? How does it all get together? It it's overlapping a lot with the sort of cloud. You know, it's it's almost like uh, and I, so. I feel like we've we've bunched a bunch of different things together <laughs> uh, in terms of what we're talking about. But um, so yeah, I think I think the these as a service you know. Uh, not just infrastructure as a service, but but also on premise. You know, yeah, I call it data center as a service. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's um, but then you know, are you going to have an actual data center with perimeter crack units? Are you going to have you know, uh, having something that is standalone as much as possible and super efficient at being standalone? Well, that, I, I mean, mean that's it a makes point. a lot of sense. My thing is that 
we know data centers. We've been dealing with data centers for many, many years, and we know that they're changing even you know, many of our clients have data centers that at one time were designed for 500, um, you know, uh, 5K, 5, 50, 500 kW of IT load and are now running at 150 kW. And the rest of that is, is dormant space. And it's, you know, you can take what's in that 150 kW and put it essentially in a box and have it high efficiency. And it's a least, you know, least device. And you've gotten rid of all of the grief of having to play with, you know, all of this redundancy and all the data center issues. Not that I want to put ourselves out of business because that's, you know, we deal with data centers and we, but if the industry, if it's smart for the industry to go that way, it's going to happen regardless. Um, we're just kind of thinking about it ahead of time a little bit. Well, you know, for, for our design business, we can just design the spots where we put these things and say, you know, get get ahead of the curve and be like, okay, you don't need this. Let's let's just use this well, little spot. We're, also, and, you know, we're actually you know. consultants and yeah. we advise people on master planning their future as far as how do they access IT. And it happened to be in the past that it's accessing it through data centers. We're continuously working with clients to, you know, get them to understand the hybrid model. Hey, what applications work in the, the public cloud? What applications work in, in, in colo data centers? And what applications work in your space? This is just another piece of advice that we, as the technology becomes available, we would advise them that this might be something they would consider. Um, and as these companies uh, produce these boxes and they're high efficiency and high, have um, a lot of versatility, you know, we would say, you know, we're always looking out for the client's interest. So that's just another um, another arrow in the quiver uh, that we can present. Yeah. I think uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, there are a lot of options on, on how to present to somebody about what they should do. I mean, you could, you know, for a long time, everybody was just trying to build the best data center on premise. And that, I think pretty quickly was obvious that it wasn't the best way to do things, but that doesn't, you know, but now ever, since everything is getting squashed together and since development and the people who are actually, you know, working on servers are getting more and more involved in the back end of things and, and the actual physical infrastructure and with DevOps and, you know, the mindset of provisioning based on what's actually needed for the software, um, it all has to be integrated from the design side too. And I think the, the designers of data centers really need to keep up. And I don't know if they have with that mindset of, you know, thinking about the convergence and modularity, not just in terms of having pods, but modularity in terms of being able to take a whole rack and, and plug it someplace and, and being able to think about things in the failover and having assets at different sites and, you know. Well, the, um, one of the things that the, you know, if you're leasing this box, you have a command center that people are looking at all of the infrastructure associated with this thing full time, you know, 24 seven. And it's their responsibility to make sure that it's both up and running from a physical point of view, but also from a connectivity point of view. And so, you know, this is all becoming something where it's a utility, just like, oh, yeah. you know, the electric, yeah. you know, there's a transformer out on the pole near your building or on your property that is, you know, transforming that, that high voltage into usable voltage in your building. 
Um, this is essentially the same thing in yeah. concept, but a lot more technology involved. And I think the industry's going there. I don't know. <laughs> it's just um, why not? You know, every, yeah. you know, other things have gone. Well, I'd say it's it's already there for a lot of things. It's just who's going to win? You know, like like Oracle is trying to do this, and you know, there's there's a lot of every every one of those big companies, one of the big uh, IT companies, are trying to win the war of uh, the hybrid cloud. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's good because then it becomes more competitive. Yeah. And our capitalist mindset is that if you get many people doing things, the people that do it well will get a large share of the thing, and other people will create, you know, have in it, uh, will have methods that make it more sellable. And people will, you know, oh, that feature I really like, let me uh, t use yours. I think it's important that there's a plat, you know, that there's standardization across the platform, and there are associations that help do that. I mean, we were talking about open source and other things, you know. But the big, the big, the you know, the Dells and the HPs and and the Oracles and you know, obviously um, the Googles and all the world are going to really jump on this. But there's there's windows for small entrepreneurial companies to to provide um, specialized. Uh, versions of this so i think that brings us back to this vapor.io you know their specific vision was to have a city scale uh kinetic edge or we'll say uh distributed mesh to have you know 30 50 pods however many that are around a metro area that can fail to each other and, and achieve high reliability that way and you know we haven't even talked about how they're trying to do that with containerized solutions and then they have this airflow system that they they like um but you know the the question is is that kind of city scale sort of micro cloud whatever that sort of mindset is that going to be the winner um and i think what we what we came down to is that's not clear <laughs> that it's, it it's clear. a very good idea but um, I don't. I don't think there's any. There's going to be one winner, a uh, one system that's going to be universal for any you know city or any situation. You know, there's going to be you know different method methods for different purposes for different types of users. But what they're talking about makes sense. I think today um, the technology is there. It's a question of whether or not um, you know how how expensive it is to implement and how many how many users are going to you know buy into that. And that's what their investors are obviously looking at. And uh, and as it gets more competitive and as more people do it, hopefully the cost gets more reasonable. But the cost has to be justifiable today as compared to what you're doing. You know, if you own your own data center, you're going, if this reduces the um, the act, you know, the cost of accessing AWS, um, uh, you know, for everything and it, you know, but it reduces some of those costs, then, it has to be cost justifiable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are some ways in which you could save just bandwidth costs if, if you are like if if I'm only traversing from my house to the cell phone tower and back, uh, they you know, and, and that's the only kind of data that's being transferred. That's all you have to pay for. And you're not paying transit all the way back to mm -hmm. your core data center. So there's there's cost savings, but it's a very specific case. You know, I mean, well, it's also that you're, you know, if you can get what you need from an application point of view to in within this pod, you know, that's close to you, you're not, you know, you know, you're not making the big internet system clogged. 
with having to go all the way back to some central point and, and back again. Yeah. So, I mean, you're so making the, the highway less traffic. Right. You're, you're, um, you're bringing, you're, you're letting people have home offices as opposed to having to commute to their offices. It's, uh, you know, the, so the big highway doesn't have to be as big because people aren't traveling on it to get to their office. Um, you know, um, we've, we've been able to reduce the cost of building the, the um, internet interstate, let's call it. Yeah. And, but it's still expensive to maintain and everything. Um, whereas if people can, you know, that the, where you, when you need to be on that interstate, it's, it's, you have access to it. And what's already built is adequate for many, you know, let's say a generation, then all of that money, to, you know, this may reduce the need to make that system even larger. And we, we've, we have, we have associates that are building the, uh, you know, the fiber highway through the York Reading, you know, direction outside of the 95 Carter. Um, and you know that's good. That's for redundancy and capacity, um, but you know it's it. All of those things are finite. There's this limit to all of them. Yeah. Um, and if you can, you know, put this um, this kinetic edge or distributed mesh, and you just need to go these short distances to get what you need, then that's all the better. You know the the last kind of painful part is that. You know, there could be a disruptive, another disruptive network technology that destroys all of this because, you know, Elon Musk is trying to put satellite, you know, like 4,000 satellites in the sky that communicate with each other with lasers and shoot lasers down into the ground and that would have, you know, almost zero latency, <laughs> you know, um, well, they may speed need, of light transfer. They may so, need so they would pods. probably need these pods at one of those points maybe. But yeah, they don't know. want to lay, you know, go to every business, every home necessarily. They want yeah. to go to some place and then spread out from there, but they don't necessarily want to go to mega data centers. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's a smart um, guy, so he's yeah, going to yeah, figure that yeah. out. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I think we touched on a lot of stuff. Um, this idea of the kinetic edge is very interesting and we're excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I like that. There's some ideas that, that popped in my head that I never thought of before, so that's always a good thing. So Yeah, that's why we have these conversations. Thanks a lot. That's our show. I'd like to thank our guest, Kevin Farnsworth, for coming on and I would like to thank our sponsor, Greenlight Design. I'd like to thank Juke Deck, for providing our theme music and be good everybody and I'll talk to you next time on the podcast